Hallelujah. Well, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good, good to see you. So a question I want to start off with is, who loves baseball? Quite a few of you. How many of you ever played baseball? Yeah? How many of you ever played hardball? I mean, we're talking fast pitch hardball, some of you guys. Okay, so when I was in uh, junior high, I was actually in Little League, and I was a pitcher. And um, my coach taught me how to throw fastballs. He said, this is what I want you to throw most of the time. Just throw it hard, fast, straight over the plate. And um, that's what I did. But then later in coaching me, he said, now once in a while, I want you to throw a curveball. And this is how you throw it. This is how you hold the ball. This is how you kind of spin your wrist. It'll catch the air and it'll come flying over the plate. Just a little different to to catch the batter by surprise. And we we can strike them out sometimes. So I learned how to throw curveballs. And why am I telling you all this? Because this morning, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay? I'm going to throw you a curveball by giving a topical message. Now, that's not what you normally get at Calvary Chapel, right? You normally get expository teaching, verse by verse, uh, book by book through the Bible. And Pastor Kevin has been throwing fastballs for quite a while now. Throwing you a fastball just straight, giving you the word through the the book of uh, Exodus, right? So I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to throw you a little curve and give you a topical message. Uh, What I'd like to do is take a fresh look at the person and the ministry and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Would that be okay? Yes, I think it's going to be a blessing. What an indescribable gift he is to everyone who believes. How thankful we are that he dwells within us. So this is going to be a topical message. And um, we won't cover everything the Bible has to say this morning. You'll be glad about the Holy Spirit. But consider this to be the highlights. Uh, And at the end, we're going to try to answer some very important questions that often come up for every one of us. Questions like, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean in the book of Galatians? It says to walk in the Spirit. And then finally, is there a special baptism or anointing or filling of the Spirit that we should ask for? So these are some very important questions that we want to look at. There's going to be a lot of scriptures, okay? A lot of scriptures this morning. The good news is you don't have to turn to every one of them. We'll put most of them up on the screen. I would like you to turn to our primary text, which is in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you'll go there. While you're going there, I'd like to just begin with some foundational truth, a foundational truth uh, about the Holy Spirit from, uh, this is actually from Ephesians 1. It says, In him, Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So this is true for every one of us who have believed the gospel. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and been saved by God's grace through faith, we receive immediately the Holy Spirit in trusting him. This and then the sealing, the sealing speaks of a final transaction that God has made. It, it speaks of God's seal of ownership that he's put on us because he has purchased us. The precious blood of Christ. Amen. 
And the believer is now kept by the power of God, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit abides with him forever. We know that the Spirit can be grieved by our disobedience, but I believe he never leaves us. So to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is proof, listen, is proof that you are truly born again. If you detect any evidence, any work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are born again. It's a blessed assurance that we see as a work of the Holy Spirit. So not only that, it says the Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee to his children that he will finish the work that he has begun in us. And he'll finish the work by eventually bringing us all to glory. How does that sound? He will bring us all to glory. That's what it means by the redemption of the purchased possession. It refers to the redemption of our body at the return of, of Jesus Christ. So these are some of the glorious truths that we want to continue to look at this morning. Truths related to the Holy Spirit and our relationship with him. So again, I want to take a, a fresh look at a lot of these things. Hopefully we'll have a fresh appreciation for the Holy Spirit this, this morning as we're reminded who he is, what he, has, what he does, and, what, and why we need the Holy Spirit. And to answer some of these important questions regarding our relationship with him. So if you're in Ephesians 5, would you stand for the reading God's word? We're going to look at Ephesians 5 for a moment, <clears throat> starting in verse 8. Some key, key passage uh, here on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let's start in verse 8, Ephesians 5. He says, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak to those, or speak about those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, the light of your word, and so it's beyond the words to thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Teach us this morning about him, his work within us, his glorious ministries, and what it means to be filled, what it means to walk in him, in the spirit, to receive the fullness. All that he wants to give us, we want this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, to look at the person... And the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures is, is a huge blessing. It's a wonderful journey to take. But first, before we start do a little bit of that, I wanted to uh, 
just mention something I read that C.S. Lewis wrote about the nature of God that was very helpful for me when I read it. And maybe you've read this quote before. Something C.S. Lewis wrote is so simple. He wrote, it said, he wrote, you and I, you are a one-person being. You, we know that, right? You are a one-person being. That's how God created you, each and every one of us. God created you as a one-person being. Then he said, God is a three-person being. It's as simple as that. It's an easy comparison. You and I are a one-person being. God is a three-person being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many of us know that. So we use the word triune, right, which is not really found in the scriptures, but it helps us describe, it teaches us there is one God in three persons who is often referred to in the plural sense, as, it, as, it, as in Genesis where it says, let us create man in our own image. We see the triune, triunity of God. I think the baptism of Jesus is probably the best example if you're wanting to show someone in the scriptures that, that God is triune in three persons. The baptism of Jesus. You've got Jesus, the Son of God, right, being baptized. Then the Father speaks, this is my Son, whom I love. The Father speaks. And then the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. You have Father, Son, and, Sp and Holy Spirit in just a few verses. And other places like that. So it's, it's just very easy to find it. Now, as a person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the Scriptures, beginning in the second verse of the Bible, Right? The earth was formless and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But it's interesting, as we read through the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit's involvement in the lives of certain people, but the relationship is not exactly the same as it is with you and I as born-again believers. Whether it's Samson, remember Samson? The Holy Spirit come upon him to give him supernatural strength. <clears throat> I would love some of that. Or Saul. Remember Saul who, by the Spirit, just began prophesying with the prophets. This is Saul, the king that got, was rejected. We have, um, well, what we see is the Spirit of God that in the Old Testament came upon people to give them a temporary ability to accomplish God's will. There's this guy, Bezalel, the son of Uri, says the Spirit of God came on, upon him with wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship to do artistic craftsmanship on the tabernacle. On the tabernacle. It's from the Spirit of God. It says of Saul, again, that the Spirit of God left him at one point. After his disobedience as king, he was then giving, given a distressing spirit by God that would trouble him. So the Spirit of God left him. David prayed at one point, we read in the Psalms, he prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So again, we see a temporary relationship and experience with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But the new relationship, the one that born-again believers have today, was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would come. For example, in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart, of, a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land and I will, that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. We see the new relationship 
that is prophesied. Also in Jeremiah 31, <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with them, make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So again, we see the prophecy of this new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Then in, in the Gospels, John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. That is a very key statement. He, he's been dwelling with you, but he will be in you. I wonder what was going through the disciples' minds when they heard that. This is mind-blowing. The Holy Spirit, he's with us, but he's going to be in us. He's going to indwell us. What, what is that? What's that going to be like? It's just mind-blowing. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think we continue to see this today. We see this transition of the Spirit being with us to moving in, indwelling us. Many people have a, I've talked to many people that have this 2020 hindsight of when the Holy Spirit was with them and then the transition of being indwelling them. They can look back and see how the Holy Spirit was at work, drawing them, many times through other believers who were just loving them. Sometimes the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting uh, of sin, the Holy Spirit's drawing, giving an openness, and then the time came when they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And the scriptures say at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells them, and they are born again. So I was talking with someone just recently. They, were, they met a woman at, uh, at the daycare that they go to, this, and, and the conversation turned to spiritual things. And she had such an openness. She, she was just very humble and said, you know what? I'm interested, I, I really never went to church. I don't really have, know much about the Bible or, or, you know, Christianity. So they just shared their faith. They shared what God, how God had changed their lives, what God had done in their lives. Eventually, they, they answered a lot of her questions. She's very curious, very open, interested in knowing God and hearing uh, the truths, spiritual truths. I see that as the Holy Spirit being with a person. The Holy Spirit is with her, drawing her. Right? And so um, removing that like blindness and opening the heart. So many of us have had a similar experience, a similar testimony. We can look back and we can see the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit. We can see the work through that he, he used other believers to draw us and challenge us. And ultimately, as we encountered God and we responded to Jesus, the Holy Spirit went from being with us to in us. And it's a glorious thing. Jesus described the Holy Spirit's work when he is with us. John 16, it says, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me and take that which is mine and declare it to you. 
All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Then in John 16, it says, he said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they do not believe, of righteousness because I go to the Father and see him and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So again, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he is with a person. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. This drawing is done by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus describes the transition that takes place, that must take place, and what happens when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when we put our faith in Christ. Remember what he said to Nicodemus in John 3. <clears throat> he answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, you know, he's thinking, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? You've got to be nuts. Jesus answered, Mostly, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh and flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going to go. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it's interesting. The Bible describes this, this radical, permanent change that takes place in the heart of every believer. It describes it in different ways. When the Holy Spirit is given and goes from being with us to indwelling us. And this new life that he imparts. There's a new life, a transformation. When one is granted eternal life, when we partake of the divine nature and become the children of God. Various ways it's described in the scriptures. For example, as we just read in, in uh, John, it says born again or, and born from above. It also says later in the, in the scriptures, it describes there is a new man. You become a new person created in righteousness and true holiness. Another place it says you are a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away, all things become new. In 1 John, it talks about, it describes it as being born of God and knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God. Listen to this from Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs of God with Christ. Amen. So again, the new believer, the true believer, has been born again by the indwelling spirit and given an assurance that he is saved and that he is heaven bound. I know most of you know what I'm talking about. I've told, you know, it's, just, it's like you know that you know, right? And you know that you are known by him and that you are in a living relationship with him. It's, this too is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what are some other ministries of the Holy Spirit? Let's, let's talk about a few more. What is his work? What does he accomplish for us? What does he do within us? Again, there isn't time to do an exhaustive list, but let's look at a few to be reminded. First, the Holy Spirit is the one that baptizes. He does a baptism of, for every believer into the body of Christ. So these are some, just some good reminders for us. 
1 Corinthians 12, for as the body is one and it has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is, is not one member, but many. So we're baptized into the body of Christ. This from Galatians 3 you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Saying, again, saying the same thing. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what does it mean? What does it mean that we have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Here's a quote I'd like to, to read from Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible commentaries. He just says it so plainly. The baptism of the Spirit occurs at conversion when the Spirit enters the believing sinner, gives him new life, and makes his body the temple of God. All believers have experienced this once-for-all baptism. Nowhere does the Scripture command us to seek this baptism because we have already experienced it and we do not need to request it. The evidence of the Spirit's baptism at conversion is the witness of the Spirit within, we just read about. It is not speaking in tongues. All the believers in the Corinthian church had been baptized by the Spirit, but not all of them spoke in tongues. Because the gift of the Spirit, which is received at conversion, we are all members of the body of Christ. So race and, race and social status and wealth, and are, neither are advantages or handicaps as we fellowship in the Lord. Isn't that just plain and simple? So because the Holy Spirit baptizes every believer into the body of Christ, we are members, we're all members, joined together like the physical body. Different functions joined together, meant to serve the body, serve one another in love. Amen? Why? The answer is Ephesians 4. It's for the edifying, the building up of the body till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect or complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine or the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, this is for us, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, everyone serving, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we're baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. Okay, a few other ministries of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Truth. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He teaches and guides us into all truth. How many of you would like a deeper understanding of some spiritual truth this morning? That is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who teaches us spiritual knowledge and understanding. Listen to 1 John 2, 20. But he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And then later in verse 27, but the anointing which you have received... From him abides in you. This is the Holy Spirit. 
and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So what is he talking about? In the context, John is warning the believers that false teachers who are operating under the spirit of Antichrist, they're trying to deceive you. They try to deceive with a false gospel and with a counterfeit Jesus. John is saying you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can depend on him to lead you into all truth and help you discern what is a lie. Here's another quote I found. So we all are warned against just letting anyone be our teacher. We're warned, for God has given us the spirit to teach us his truth. This does not deny the office of human teachers in the church, but it means that under the guidance of the spirit, you must test the teaching of men as you search the Bible for yourself. Amen? Remember the Bereans. The Bereans, they tested all things because they read it for themselves. So that is on us. Test all things. So he is the spirit of truth. He is also the spirit of power. How many of you would like more of God's power in your life today? Amen? This is the dunamis in the Greek, power of God, where we get the word dynamite. Now, my, my first exposure to dynamite, <clears throat> i got to tell you about this. It's, it's, it's a, it was a bang. No, it's good. My first exposure to dynamite was actually watching the uh, Clint Eastwood movie that came out in 1967. Anybody want to guess? The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. This is my first exposure to dynamite. I mean, it was so available to these guys in the Westerns. They can just open up a cedar box, and it's full of these sticks with wicks coming out, and you know, and they're throwing it, blowing up bridges, train, train bridges, and throwing it into the tavern that's full of bad guys. And, you know, it's like, wow, it's powerful. But this is the, the power of God, the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the power of God into our lives. Listen to Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to ex- do exceedingly above all that we ask and think, according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God's power is brought to, uh, to the lives of the, of the believer. He's the one that can give strength to the inner man, be the strength of our hearts. And by the way, it's the same power, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead. Now how powerful is that? It blows my mind. Listen to Romans 8. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the power of God is like, you know, it's, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit brings that to our lives. And it's going to be that same power that's going to raise us and transform us into his likeness. It's glorious. Jesus told his disciples something more about power. He said, well, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this can open up a debate among some who say that we should seek this same coming upon a power and experience with the Holy Spirit that they had at Pentecost. Others will insist that this is, that was a special thing that God did when the church was born and God gave evidence to draw people to faith in Christ. 
So we'll take a closer look at this in just a moment, but I do believe we need the power of God in our lives. It only comes by the Holy Spirit. He's the agent who brings the power and grace of God into our hearts as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I believe as we humbly ask in his name to be granted the power of God, it comes by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, abide in me, right? Jesus said, abide in me. That means stay in fellowship with me because without me, you can do nothing. You will not be effective and fruitful in serving me in your own strength, is what he's saying. We need the power of God in order to do what he calls us to do. So we'll talk more about that in a moment. But he is the spirit of power, and we all know that he is the spirit of love. Amen? How many of you would, could use more love in your hearts this morning? Now, this is not, not just any love. This is not just any love because, you know, it's not the love that you may have for your truck, for example, or for your dog, or for whatever. You know, we use love so loosely in our, in our culture. But this is the agape love of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who sheds that love of God abroad into our hearts. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit, or the evidence of the Spirit's presence and work in your heart. It's the love of God. You might also think of it as the ability to love as God loves. The ability to love as God loves. With all joy and peace, long-suffering and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen? So he is the spirit of power and love. He's also, the Holy Spirit is also the imparter of gifts. It's another ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the imparter of gifts. Now Christmas is coming, so I, I don't want you to think of, you know, the, the old man with the big white beard and the red suit, Okay? Um, that's not the picture of the Holy Spirit. He's not the cosmic Santa Claus, but he is the giver of spiritual gifts. He, and he gives them sovereignly, it says, to every believer. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12. There are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, okay? Not like Santa Claus looking for naughty and nice and all, you know. This is as he wills. He is God sovereignly. Then at the end of, verse, uh, of 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul asks these rhetorical questions. He'll, he'll ask, now you who are the body of Christ and members individually, or now you are the body of Christ, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Then he asked, are all apostles? Oh, no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? 
Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, which we know is loving one another. So the answer is obvious to these questions is obviously no. Not everyone has all the gifts. They are sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit. He is the imparter of gifts. It's a, a glorious ministry. So another ministry, let's, let's move on. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit is that of comforter. Are we not glad? He is the comforter. How many of you could receive, would like to receive more of God's comfort today? It comes by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes alongside. Jesus said he is another comforter who will provide the same kind of comfort that you have received from me. Here's what he said to his disciples in John 14. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And again, later in verse 25, These things I have spoke to you while, you, while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and let it not be afraid. It's by the Holy Spirit. God is the originator of comfort. God comforts us by his Spirit. And I could go on for some time. There are so many more things to list about the ministries of the Holy Spirit. For example, he's our guide. He'll, he leads us in life. He helps us, it says, in our prayers. This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. He continues to do a sanctifying work in us. He sets us apart unto God for his service. But then he's at work within us. There's a progressive sanctification, they say, I guess, in seminary. It's a continuing work, right, of changing us, in conforming us into the likeness of Christ. So again, this is not an exhaustive study. And some of you are going to be poised to come up and say, you missed this one. <laughs> and that's, I, that's okay. I'd love to hear it. I'm love, I'd love that you're tracking, okay? Because, again, it's, I can't get to them all. But I believe the Lord wants us to be encouraged this morning. The Lord wants to be us encouraged. If you have received Christ, trusted him as your Savior, you've been born from above, you've been given the most precious gift of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's wondrous. He's glorious. He is holy and powerful. He will be your comforter, your guide, your teacher. He is the provider that is all that is granted by the Father for those who are in Christ. It, he, the Holy Spirit is the agent in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. But I'd like to wrap this up by taking a look at three admonitions in the Scriptures, three admonitions given to all of us in the New Testament regarding our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Three things that are on us, given as our responsibility and necessary, I believe, to receiving all that the Spirit wants to impart to us. Because we know it's not like Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, right? Right? that we somehow tap into and manipulate for our own 
purposes. He is God. He is a person. He is holy. The Bible says he can be lied to. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. Or he can be believed. He can be believed in. He can be submitted to. He can be cooperated with and received from. So let's try to answer a few of these questions. Number one, the Bible says, what does it mean the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit? We see this in Ephesians. Number two, in Galatians, it says walk in the Spirit. Is that the same thing? I think there's some, a little bit of difference there, something else. And then number three, Jesus said in the Gospels, you can ask the Father for more, more of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these uh, few things here as we, as we wrap it up. <clears throat> I think they are related, but I think there's also some distinctions um, referring to these different things in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I hope you still have your finger there on Ephesians 5. I want to go back and read a little bit, uh, read something there again. Go, go down to verse 18, where he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He's making a comparison and a contrast. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Here's one more quote from my friend Warren. He said, To be filled with the Spirit is God's command, and he expects us to obey. The command is plural, so it applies to all Christians. It's not just a select few. The verb is in the present tense, keep on being filled. So it is an experience we should enjoy constantly and not just on special occasions. And the verb is passive. We do not fill ourselves, but permit the Spirit to fill us. The verb, now listen to this. The verb fill has nothing to do with contents or quantity as though we are empty vessels that need a required amount of spiritual fuel. In the Bible, he says the filled means to be controlled by. So filled is actually, it's kind of an unfortunate trans, translation. But to, it means to be controlled by. For example, he says in Luke 4, the, the Pharisees, they were filled with wrath, it says. In other words, they were controlled by wrath when the, because they envied Jesus. And they wanted to kill him. They were filled with wrath. They were also filled with envy. It means they were controlled by envy. And they opposed the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. So to be filled means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, our emotions, our will. Now, how can a person tell whether or not he's filled with the Spirit? It says Paul gave three evidences here in Ephesians 5. We just read them. Three evidences in the life of the believer. Number one, he's joyful, he's thankful, and he's submissive or not self-willed. He stated that, even our home can be heaven on earth, so to speak. If, if every member of the family were to be controlled by the Spirit, there would be joy and thanksgiving and submission. To be filled with the Spirit is when God controls our lives and we experience a deep joy and are not afraid to express the glory of God. Of course, the drunk is really out of control. He's out of control since alcohol affects his brain while the believer experiences a beautiful self-control. That is really God in control. Self-control is among the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of Spirit's filling our power for witnessing, 
joyfulness, submission, Christ-likeness, and a growing understanding of the Word of God. So here's what I think. <clears throat> I think the, the question that needs to be answered when it comes to being filled with the Spirit or coming under His control, I think the question is, where is my heart at? This is, a, I believe, is a heart question. What do, I, what do I really believe? Who am I really trusting in? Am I acknowledging my need for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I surrendered and submitted to the will of, the will of God? Am I coming humbly before God and asking him to control, to come under the control of his spirit? Do I desire to be under the spirit's influence? These are all heart questions. Do I really want to receive from him? Or am I looking to myself for what is needed? Where is my heart at? Who am I trusting in? If my heart is for God and our desire is for his spirit, then the blessing of his control will come. There will be joy. There will be thankfulness and a submitted attitude that says, not my will, but thine be done. So it's, I, I believe it's a heart question. A heart question. If we want to be filled or come under the control of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just about our hearts. Another question that comes up, I think, is about, refers to our heads. In other words, where is our mind at? And that, uh, that's like a bridge, I think, that carries us over to what does it mean to be, uh, from being filled to walking in the Spirit. You see, um, the heart and the mind are addressed in Ephesians 5. If you want to look back at like verse 10. In the context, he says, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. In verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's our heart and our mind. Now, how do we, do, how do we understand what the will of the Lord is? I think there's several ways that God can reveal that to us. One, he is the whole God, the Spirit, who he still has that still small voice. Anybody experienced that? God can speak to us, I believe. I believe that's happened for me on occasion. In a way that I just, that was the Lord speaking. It's, you know, God still speaks. God can reveal his will, I believe, through counsel. Counsel, counselors, as we're seeking the will of God from people that we know, respect, that love the Lord, are knowledgeable of his word, that care about, genuinely care about us. God can use counselors. He can also use circumstances. How many of you have discovered the will of God in your circumstance, by your circumstances, found out that you really weren't in that much control after all? You know, I just, you know, many of you know that I was ill. Um, my wife and I were both ill, and I was basically stuck at home for the whole month of October. Um, and it became... I had to accept the will of God. This, I'm, I can't, I'm too sick to do anything, go anywhere. But God showed me some things in my own heart, I believe, what he can accomplish through suffering, but also the love of God that was demonstrated by people that knew we were sick, and many of them come to our, our home Bible study. They just loved on us, and like, do you need anything? They, they were bringing groceries to our front door. It was kind of nice. Chicken soup. Too much chicken soup after a while. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with chickens for a while. But, it, you know, but anyway, it was just the circumstances be obviously be became the will of God. You, we, I want you on the receiving end for a while. Anybody been on the receiving end? You know, it can be a, a wondrous, wonderful thing to see the love of the body of Christ.
So certainly God can reveal his circumstances, uh, his will through circumstances. But I think the primary way we discover the will of God and what is acceptable to him is by learning what he has already said in his word, what he's already revealed. The word of God has been given for the renewing of our minds to prove, as it says in Romans, to live out what is that good and acceptable and will of God. Our minds are renewed as we submit to the will of God, and the Holy, the Holy Spirit then brings a transformation. And it results in our lives being lived that is no longer conformed to this world. It's a transformation. We have our training program with our students, uh, connection with Western Seminary. Part of what they're required to do is some memorization. And the first thing we gave to them, which we believe is very foundational, is Psalm 1. Anybody memorize Psalm 1? Okay. It was the first thing I ever memorized. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord on which he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who, who's, who yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does prospers. So we talked about why is his life like a fruitful tree? Why is, his, is he like a tree that leaves, his leaves never wither? Why does what he does, why is he always prospering in what he does? Because he meditates on the word of God. His mind is being renewed. He's finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. He understands what the will of the Lord is. And that determines how he lives his life. It's a knowledge of God's word. It's the exact same message in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. You'll, the Holy Spirit will do a transformation and you'll live your life differently than the world. Okay? So that's how we primarily find out, I believe, the will of God. But turn over to Galatians 5. We talked about being filled with the Spirit, coming under His control, it's a matter of the heart. But I believe to walk in the Spirit and to be led by Him is a matter of the mind. And both mind and heart are instructed and enlightened by the Word of God. We might have this on the screen also, I don't know. But let's, I'd just like to read Galatians 5, 16 through 26. There it is. <clears throat> it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, there's a key, there's a clue. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, jealousies, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, for which I told you before and just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We just read that. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I mean, I believe I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. He'll, I believe he'll never leave me. 
He's the agent of God's power and love and grace. He'll be my guide, my comforter, and my teacher. I understand that I need to prayerfully and humbly come under his control, be surrendered and submitted. But how is walking in the Spirit something else? Again, I think the main question that needs to be answered here is where is my mind? Or what is my mindset? Is my mind set on what the Spirit desires? Again, if I'm in the Word of God, so I know what is acceptable to Him and what is pleasing to Him, then I I'm, I'm have what I believe the Bible says is a spiritual mind. A spiritual mind that desires to follow the will of God. It's where my mind is set. Listen to Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the only way we can have our mind set on what the Spirit desires, I believe, is to have our mind continually renewed in the Word of God. Are you with me? If we are not consistently in the Word of God, our mind can then again become carnal. Our mind can be consumed with the lust and desires of our flesh. And Galatians warns us. He warns us in Galatians. We can, he says we can again become conceited, self-focused, provoking one another, and envying one another. We need the light of God's Word because the Spirit desires goodness, righteousness, and truth, the truth that the Word reveals. We must have our minds set on what the Spirit desires in order to be led by Him. When we do, we will, He will lead us away from the lusts of our flesh. And what the flesh is lusting on won't even be on our minds. When we are walking in the Spirit, He'll grant us the power and love to overcome temptation, and instead of the works of the flesh, we will see the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, let's wrap this up. A well-known Calvary Chapel pastor, his name's not important, he's taught many times on the Holy Spirit. One thing I remember that he said is the Holy Spirit is not weird. Isn't that helpful? The Holy Spirit's not weird. He is, he's, he's holy. He takes what is Christ. He reveals it to us. He's a spirit of power and love and sound mind. He doesn't just take over when you come under his control, okay? You still, you don't lose your will. You don't lose your faculties. We, su we willingly submit to God, amen? The Holy Spirit's not weird. Now, how, how many of you remember decades ago, there was something we called the counterfeit revival? This is decades ago. There was weird stuff going on. I'm telling you, really weird. People were going to Pensacola, and they were going to Toronto, and that's where the, the blessing was supposed to be. And they were barking like dogs. Anybody remember this? They were rolling around in the aisles laughing, you know, and they were saying, it's, this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. I say, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not weird, okay? Okay, now something else this pastor said that I found very helpful is he gave the ABCs, the ABCs to being filled with the Spirit. Now, before I give you those, I need to go back a moment. We're running a little late, but the disciples had a special experience with the Holy Spirit. We know that. They had a special filling. Some would say an anointing as the, the power came upon them. And this was after they had received the Spirit and were born again. 
So it's, it wasn't a salvation. I don't believe it was a salvation experience for them at Pentecost. Because after his resurrection, having appeared to the, the, the disciples, when the doors were shut, Jesus said in John 20, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And then when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you believe they received the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, Receive? Right now. I'm breathing on you. Okay? It's born again. Then later in Acts, we know, he's, he, when he, before he ascended, he said, uh, that to, they, were assembled, they were assembled together. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, which he said, you've heard from me. John truly baptized with water. You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, will you restore the kingdom? He said, it's not time for you to know the seasons of Father is put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. And then many of us are familiar with what take, took place at Pentecost. You know, they heard the mighty rushing wind. There was like the tongues of fire on their heads. They spoke all these different languages, right? They were filled with the Spirit, it says. Jesus said this was about receiving power to be his witnesses. I think that's very key. Now, you add to this something Jesus said in the Gospels, in Luke 11. He said to them, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, if we understand that everyone who is, puts their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation receives the Holy Spirit at the, immediately, then this is, God's, and this is God's promise for all believers. He told us this would happen. In Luke 11, it appears that Jesus is talking about something else. He's saying we can ask for more of the Holy Spirit. It sounds like he's talking about this fullness, this fresh power. Some call it an anointing or a baptism. I think it's a request for all that the Spirit wants to impart to us. So, okay, so here's Pastor Kevin. Oh, that, that pastor, Pastor Kevin's. ABCs, okay, to being filled with the Spirit. Real quick, A is for, is for ask. Ask up in prayer. Jesus said, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So let's ask, amen? Could it be that we have not many times because we ask not? B is for believe. Believe the promise of God. Peter, in the message he gave to the people at the day of Pentecost, said, the promises of God is for you, your children, and all who are far off. So do not be unbelieving or doubting or wavering in your faith. Choose to believe God's word and God's promise. Believe. The Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So A is for ask. B is for believe. C, Pastor Kevin C, is carry on. Carry on in the power of the Holy Spirit as you receive it. This is not about an emotional experience Although we, you may have one. I think the, the experience that we saw at Pentecost was unique. Something that God did to, to draw people to the gospel that Peter was about to preach. So don't expect a, some kind of special experience, I would say. That may or may not happen. But remember, God always backs up our obedience with the power of the Spirit. So we can carry on in the power of God to be his witnesses and accomplish his, his purposes. So those are his ABCs. Ask, believe, and carry on. So as the worship team comes up, I just would you, would you stand and pray with me? 
And I would like to just give thanks for the Holy Spirit, his wonderful ministries of comforter and guide and teacher. He's a spirit of power and love and sound mind. Can we just give thanks and then can we ask together for the fullness, for the power of the Spirit in our lives? Let's pray. Father,